0: Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Lux. At least that's what I keep telling people. And if I had a nickel for every VTuber that I'm subscribed to that got a new outfit with an emphasis on wearing glasses and just being comfy in general, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. What does this all mean? Don't worry about it. Anyway, so the Royals had a uh, nice weekend series in the Bay Area. They finally get to play their their first away games, take some time away from Kauffman Stadium, and it was a really, really awful road stretch. It was almost as bad as it could have possibly been. It would have been maybe just a little bit worse if the Royals lost one more game because the Royals only won one single game. So they went into this road series one and six, went against the San Francisco Giants, a, a team that we have a lot of history with. And the Royals went two for, two for three. They won the first two games. They, they won on Friday by a score of three to one. And then they won on Saturday by a score of six to five, which ended up being a really interesting back and forth game. Actually, no, it wasn't really a back and forth game. It was just a. Really solid comeback win for the boys. So really great win there. And then the the game on Sunday was lost by a score of one two, 3 But you know what? In a two-game series like this, you will at least take the... You'll take the game... Uh, you'll take game three as a loss. I think that's most ideal. And actually, you could just win the... You could lose the first game and then win the second two. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is... It, it, it In my opinion, at least with the circumstances that this team was under this weekend, I would prefer losing the third game, if if nothing else, because this means that this weekend we got two wins in a row for the first time ever this season, and this loss doesn't overall contribute to the, the dread that we had for this season, because... You know, I had to I had to get like all therapeutic. I had to be all like, you know, relaxing for everybody Uh, last weekend because I'm just like, because people were like, seriously, I was I was wondering if I was going to have to call the suicide hotline for some of y'all because it, it was bad. It was real bad. So if we lost like, if we lost Friday's game, then that would have only continued. It's like, oh, my God, Royals are the worst baseball team in the history of all existence, literally worse than the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. And then if he lost on Saturday, then it would be like, well, yeah, we lost. And that then that sucks because it's like, it's like, oh, okay, we won on Friday, but then we lose on Saturday. So, you know, we can only win one game and then it's back to, you know, one win and then five losses coming up right next. You know, I don't think it would have improved morale all that much. And then if we, um, uh, if we nothing actually, but instead we won on Sunday or no, we lost on Sunday. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. We lost on Sunday instead, which means we get the two wins in a row, which is great. And we kind of break that big losing streak we had going into this road series. And now that we kind of established some really good things about this series, now that the team actually showed a bit of progress this weekend, it's like, okay, we can drop a game. And not be so worked up about it. We don't have to be, you know, worried about the the state of this team completely. Because it does look like there are some things that are genuinely working out in the team's favor. And I'm not even just talking about the the Babbitt getting a little bit better. Which it is. It is getting a little bit better. And I told you all it was going to get better. I told you all this offense was going to get better. And I'm still saying it's still going to get better. It's still going to get a lot better. But there is a positive development that is coming out of this team that is really kind of giving it a new life or a bit of a different life. It's something that was maybe unexpected, or maybe it was expected, but not to the degree that it's happening in. Before I talk about that, I should mention a couple roster updates. Uh actually the only roster update is that Kyle Isbell was sent back down to AAA because Kyle wait, no, sorry. Nick Prato was sent back down to AAA because Kyle Isbell is back on the roster. Kyle Isbell was on paternity leave. His wife was having a child. So, went to take care of that. Pretty cool. Congratulations to them. And good to have him back. And then the other update is that Matt Potrero expects to be rejoining the Royals in Texas for the upcoming series in Arlington. Pretty small updates, but that's about it. Also... Here's the Royal Deluxe Moment. And now Taylor Clark comes on. And now the Giants have the bases loaded and nobody out. Got him. Oh, great. That's perfect. That's located. That was better than the other two. Got him. Back to back strikeouts for Clark. Got him. How about Taylor Clark? Yeah, you pound your chest. Pretty much speaks for itself, I think. Um, Taylor Clark came in to pitch for relief on Sunday, or sorry, it was on Saturday. Uh, just pitched one inning, but walked the bases loaded, and then struck out the next three batters. Like, was that a flex? I don't know. Um, maybe don't do that again. But it was pretty funny. So that's uh, that's what I'm going with for this one. All right, now I want to talk about that positive development that I was alluding to earlier. And it's the pitching. The pitching is something that is developed, that has developed tremendously this season so far. Now, I think it's fair to say that... I mean, it's not even fair to say. It's just obvious that the Royals were completely terrible at pitching last year. They were almost dead last in pretty much every single metric. Aside from sucking ass, which they were very good at. They were really good at being terrible. So I think it's fair to say that if the Royals were ha- if the Royals world had like the twentieth best pitching staff in all of baseball, and then maybe ninth or tenth or eleventh in the American League, then that would be a very solid improvement. That would be a noticeable and in some way, in some twisted way, an encouraging improvement for this pitching staff. And according to what Royals Farm Report posted yesterday, and I'm actually saying yesterday, for me this is today. This is today in the morning, in the a.m. before Sunday's game was played. The Royals' entire pitching staff is 10th in ERA and 8th in walk rate. Remember, y'all, this team was was dead last in the American League in, in both of these things. They get... They, the Royals had the had the worst ERA across all for all teams in the American League. The only teams that they that were worse than them, just in general, were the Reds, who also were the only team that had a worse walk rate, somehow. The hell are they doing over there? I don't know. And then the Nationals, which is unsurprising, because they lost 107 games last year. They have Patrick Corbin on their roster. And the Rockies. So oh, I was talking about ERA. Sorry, not we're not talking about walk rate anymore. I just I just meant walk rate for the Reds. But yeah, those those three teams are the only three that had a worse ERA, a worse team ERA than the Kansas City Royals. And now, look, it's only it's only like ten games or so, nine games actually. But still, the fact that they're tenth, the fact that they're actually holding their own just overall, and it's not like. You know, they're getting carried by their bullpen. It's actually more their starting rotation that's doing well, and I'll mention something else about them in a second. But the fact that the Royals are actually holding their own, just in general, the fact that they have a respectable team ERA and are actually getting or, or not giving up walks all the time, it's good. They're actually being a lot more efficient. And although they're only 17th in accumulating strikeouts, their walk, their their strikeout-to-walk ratio as in how often they give up strikeouts compared to walks is the eleventh best in all of baseball. And I mean, and again, this is only through nine games, but I'll just say that it's not including Sunday's game. And you can kind of imagine that things got that these numbers are going to be even better after Sunday's game, including one thing that I personally am a big fan of. There is something that I really, really like about the Royals pitching staff. This season, that is a huge improvement from last season, and it's the innings pitched. The Royals have, uh, so far, the second most innings pitched with their starting rotation in all of baseball. In fact, actually, wait a minute, hang on, hang on a second. So the Dodgers are ahead of us. They had fifty-one innings pitched, and the Royals had forty-eight point two. Chris Bubich threw six innings, so that puts the Royals at fifty-four point two, and the Padres are also tied with us. They're they're uh, they're also at uh, forty-eight point two, and their starter went six innings exactly, so that's forty-eight point two, or sorry, fifty-four point two. The Dodgers' starter only went three point two, so he's actually at. Oh. Wait, no, it was actually 3.1, so never mind. Never mind. Sorry, they're at at 54.1. So actually, the Royals are tied in for first in innings pitched from their starting rotation, at least through 10 games. This is, again, accounting for Chris Bubich's start. I kind of looked around for this one. I personally... I'm just a huge fan of this. Now, last year, the Royals were not particularly efficient with their rotation. They were they they had the 18th most innings pitched, which actually surprised me. I thought it was going to be like way lower than that. I thought they were like one of the least efficient teams <laughs> in the majors. And there is something that I will admit that this is like I'm kind of using flawed logic when I say that it's really good to get a lot of innings out of your rotation because that's actually not necessarily true. Because the the team that had the fewest innings out of their starters was actually the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, the Rays got fewer innings than the Nationals and the Pirates did from their starters. But at the same time, on the opposite end, the team that has the most innings pitched from their starters? The Houston Astros. By a significant margin, actually, the Houston Astros had 53, or sorry, no, 43 more innings pitched than second place, which was Cleveland. And then it's Seattle, and then the Padres, and then the Phillies, and the Yankees, and the Braves, and then the Marlins, which makes sense, actually, and then the Mets. So, and then the Diamondbacks right after, uh, with the Dodgers very close. So, the Rays are an outlier in this example. Instead, the top 10 teams, almost all of them, are top-tier teams in baseball. There is a bit of a correlation there. And I'm just kind of that old-fashioned guy who just admires the starter, the starting pitcher going six innings. I know that's something that's becoming more and more archaic in baseball. Thing is, though... If we want to look at the Rays and say, well, they're proving that you don't need six innings with your starters each game. I also think that's because the Rays just kind of have pitchers that aren't necessarily built for endurance. A, they get injured all the freaking time. And B, they just have lots of multi-inning guys. The the thing that the the thing that the Rays have is that they have a, a seemingly bottomless arsenal. Of of weapons. They can just 3D print new guys who throw good pitches. And I actually don't really know if that's something that the Royals can do. I don't know if the Royals have the kind of relief depth or even the starter depth where they can just allow their starters to only go four or five innings each and every game and then just go to a bullpen arm that will go two innings per game. Like in this bullpen, I guess Ryan Yarbrough will give you two innings if you ask him to. Not maybe, maybe not the best innings, but you know he'll do that. And then you've got Carlos Hernandez, even though there was a, if Carlos Hernandez has a forearm strain right now, so actually knows that that's really going to happen. But Eroldis Chapman isn't going two innings. Dylan Coleman probably shouldn't go two innings. He doesn't seem to be particularly healthy right now after how much we used him last season. And Scott Barlow, you probably don't want him to go two innings. Again, like maybe in an emergency, he can go two innings, but it's not really recommended. Jose Quas and Amir Garrett are definitely not going two innings. So this this team does not have a lot of depth guys who are going to go multiple innings. So they it, it does help that the starters really... Fulfill their workloads and go six or so innings. And I think if they're doing that, then it's going to trickle down to the rest of the pitching staff and make a big difference because, you know, I said this when I was talking about the Jordan Lyle signing, when I did the uh, off season catch up discussion, it's going to help your, your bullpen a lot. If you're not going to be constantly relying on them to pitch four or five innings, every single game, if you only need three, maybe even fewer than that per game, then you're going to let these guys actually rest and maintain maintain themselves. And also, you're not going to deplete your best options immediately because you just felt like you needed them. Like, oh no, it's a one-run game in the sixth inning. Let's send out, you know, the third best reliever on the team. Like, oh, it's the or it's the seventh inning or the eighth inning and... You yeah, know, we, we don't really have anyone else, so let's bring in Scott Barlow. But then, oh, that means it's the ninth inning, so now we have to use Yoel Pyams instead. And, oh, he, he can't handle high leverage situations at all. Whoopsies! You know, how many times last season did we ask, like, why was Matheny using this reliever in this situation? And the answer is, because he already used the best reliever. He just kind of wasted it. Or the best reliever wasn't available because he's already pitched five times this week why because we don't have starters that are able to keep us in the game by midway through and the increase of innings that the starting pitching is able to see is able to accomplish i think is it's possible because of this philosophy that's being put into them by this new uh, pitching coach this new uh, team of pitching coaches the whole raid the zone mentality you know throw in the strike zone throw strikes. Don't throw ball, don't throw pitches outside of the strike zone. Why? Because that's how you get walks. That's how you walk batters. But oh hey, look. This season the Royals aren't walking so many batters. That also means they're pitching more innings because they're just not wasting 4 plus pitches on a batter like every other guy or like twice an inning. Just if only the Royals knew how to throw strikes. Like, if only if, if only they knew, dude. If only. Like, what a mind-blowing revelation this has been. Like, wow. Throwing strikes means that you're doing something right. And you can, like, strike batters out and not just put them on base automatically. Crazy. I can't, I can't believe no one has thought of this earlier. And not only is the raid the zone mentality, the raid the zone philosophy, translating into more innings, it's also translating into efficient innings. Brady Singer and Chris Bubich pitched six innings each in in their starts, and both of them did so with fewer than 80 pitches. So it's not even like we're really straining these guys, going like 100, 110 pitches to reach those six innings. No, they're doing this comfortably. I don't know if the Royals are imposing pitch limits on them still because it's early in the season and maybe they haven't been built up for the season. You know, we, we are. We definitely worry that Brady Singer hasn't really been built up. But in any case, it's great that they're able to reach six innings and you know reach their. I I guess, ideal starting pitcher workload and not have to, you know, blow their arm out in the process of doing it. Baseball is, at least in the regular season, it's a matter of endurance. It's a long season. it's, It's a lot of work. And so it really helps if you're able to just maintain your own workload and maintain a healthy, even pace, I guess. So, Royals pitchers going six innings and only doing so with 80 or 90 pitches, probably great for their overall physical health long-term. And it also is probably really great for the relievers' health long-term, because they're not having to come in every day, every other day, little to no rest. Because, you know what? They, they, they're able to get an extra couple days off each week, as long as this keeps up. And I'm already shouting out Singer and Bubich, with their starts, and I'm going to kind of keep doing that because Brady Singer, his start on Saturday was not particularly good, but he was still able to go six innings. He gave up five runs overall. Four of them came in the uh, fourth inning, so he just kind of just... The Giants just strung together a bunch of hits on him, and it's just like, okay, it's just, just just kind of a nightmare inning overall, but the fact that he was able to keep himself in the game, pitch the fifth inning, Pitched the sixth inning, gave up another run in the sixth, but, you know, the fact that he was able to still, I guess, fulfill his duty as a starting pitcher, that's what I love so much about Brady Singer. I talk about this a lot, but I just love the fact that when Brady Singer is not having a particularly good game, he's still going to find a way to keep himself and the rest of the team in the game. He's going to be like, okay, you know, I gave up a few runs that inning, but I'm not going to you know, kicking how about it. I'm just gonna go right back into it. I'm just gonna go right for the next hitter. You know, that that's how we that's how he goes into each inning and with each batter. It's like, okay, counts three and oh. I'm still gonna try striking him out. You know, I am not gonna give up on this. I'm not gonna throw any give up pitches on for this guy. That's that competitive factor that he's always had even as a prospect like you would see this in all of his prospect line write-ups it's like oh brady singer he's really competitive he's competitive he's a very competitive pitcher and it's something that you can't really quantify but then you actually see it when he pitches it and it's like oh that's what they meant his games like on saturday where he's just going to keep fighting even when it's a losing battle like that's what they mean by him being so competitive. And personally, that's why I think he's such a great pitcher. Because, you know, I, I I always say this. You we know how good he is when he's at 100%. When he is at his best, he is a fantastic pitcher. But what if he's not at his best? What happens if something's going wrong? Even whether it's his fault or not, you know, like how many times did we watch Danny Duffy be, you know, just amazing for like five innings and then sixth inning comes around. Oh, no, umpire missed a call. You know, it was a it was a it was blatant. It was obviously strike three, but it was ball four instead. Oh, what a what a bummer or oh, no, fielding error is, you know, it should, could have been the third out. But instead, it's, you know, runners on first and second now. Major bummer, you know, and then immediately after it's like, okay, three run home run. It's like Duffy's just done. You know how many how many times did we see that? You don't see that with Brady Singer. Like he doesn't that that stuff doesn't bother him so much. So things go wrong. He stays in the game. He pitches six innings, even if it's a few runs. Because you know what? Few runs, really not the end of the world. Your hitters should have your back on this one. And on Saturday, that's exactly what happened. Bobby Witt Jr. homeward in the 6th, and then in the 7th, Framiel Reyes homeward, and then Salvi in the 8th homeward with two guys on to tie the game up at 5. So Brady Singer was off the hook for the loss, and then in the ninth inning, there was a passed ball that ended up scoring a run for us. And that's how we did it. We just won that sort of way. Giants kind of imploded there, but, you know, it's still a win that we'll take. And it's definitely a win that feels really good coming back from four runs. I, I forgot who posted this, and I apologize. But someone said that it wasn't until, like, September where the 2022 Royals Were able to win a game after trailing by four or more runs, and it might have been. I wouldn't be surprised if it was that you know like eleven run impossible deficit that we had against Seattle because that was just insane. Um, But yeah, wasn't until September when we did that last year. This year we did it in the second week of the season. Pretty pretty good improvement, I think. So still a good job to Brady Singer in that. And then there's Chris Bubich, who pitched on Sunday. Now, last episode of this podcast on Friday, I was praising Bubich, but maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, reluctantly, tentatively, like I, I, I wanted to give him credit where it was due because he was throwing well. But I still kind of said, like, I'm not, I'm not convinced about Chris Bubich as a starter in particular. I don't think that he had like a convincing start last week. Okay, on Sunday he had a convincing start. You got me. You, you absolutely boomed me right here. Chris Bubich had a just an absolutely beautiful and terrific start. Six innings pitched, zero runs, two hits, zero walks nine strikeouts he raided and then plundered the zone he absolutely destroyed that thing 76 pitches which is which is fantastic very efficient and 56 of them were strikes he got 19 swinging strikes hitters had absolutely no idea where chris Bubic was throwing the ball they had they were completely clueless Oh my god, was that just wonderful. And it makes me it actually makes me mad now because this could have been happening 2 years ago or so, but instead, we had a pitching coach who decided that this really cool pitch that Chris Bubich invented should just not be thrown because he doesn't need it for some weird bizarre reason that no one could ever explain. Each time there we we see a sign of progress from this Royals pitching staff is just another reason to be mad at the pitching coaches we had in kansas city before this year because literally what did they even do what 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 were they doing why were they so bad it's like again we 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 know that they were bad we could we could all understand and see that they were bad but then it's like the better that this team plays this season the better that these guys pitch this season it's like the WORSE we realize it actually was, somehow. Now, I'm calling for like, like justice, we need reparations. Like I don't, I don't really know what can be done, but like a, 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 an apology doesn't feel good enough. I genuinely feel like I deserve compensation for the la- for watching Royals pitching before 2023. Like we, we 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 were we had it so bad and we had no idea how bad it was. We knew it was bad, and, but it was way worse than we thought. Like, if Chris Bubich, I mean, and, and okay, look, it, it's two starts from Chris Bubich so far, so I guess we shouldn't get too ahead of ourselves, and I guess I did still have my sort of thing where I believe Chris Bubich doesn't throw a lot of pitches, he's not capable of going deep into games, but whatever, still, like, if Chris Bubich had, was just, like, an okay pitcher this season, then it, then we could be like, okay, yeah, sure, the, the, the Royals pitching coaches fixed something, so that's... Cool, but it's not like they, you know, are miracle workers. It's not like they, you know, found some kind of hidden talent that this past pitching regime just had no idea about. No, it's like that that really is what they're doing. Like they they're like whatever expectations we had of Chris Bubich so far feel like they've already been exceeded. Like it's it's weird to think that Chris Bubich could put potentially be the best pitcher on this rotation. That might be a, a bit of a stretch, but I don't know. He he, he I'll say this: he has the best pitched game of the Royals so far this season. Now there is something else that makes me mad, but I'm actually going to save it for Friday because maybe it'll be more relevant a little bit later. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a it's not really a hot take, but let me just say it's something else that gets me worked up. Maybe you have an idea of what it is. I'll just say, if there's someone that you really don't like on this team, someone who's playing for the Royals that you're just like, why? Then you're probably understanding what I'm saying. But um, right now I'm uh, a little bit, uh, I'm sleepy, guys. I'm a little tired. I'm going out and doing stuff. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to I'm going to preserve some energy right now and uh, I'll see you on Friday with this because we have an off day on Thursday so I'll be in a much better position on Thursday to record Friday's episode. So let me just skip to the preview against the Texas Rangers. That's where we're going next. We're going to Good old Texas, Arlington specifically. And uh the Rangers are a team that I am very fascinated in because they do have a very interesting young core of talent that's both already starting in the majors with guys like Jake Young, or was it Josh Young, sorry. Yeah, it's actually uh Yeah, it's actually Josh Young, sorry. I'm an idiot. Um so yeah, they've got that, and they've got more prospects on the way. But they've been spending a lot of money in free agency, specifically in starting pitching, and we are going to get a taste of that. Or really, we're just going to get the full course meal this pre this uh for this uh for this uh series. So on Monday, first game is going to be Zach Greinke versus Andrew Heaney, the uh, guy that they uh, signed after. He was a free agent after pitching a really good year for the Dodgers, albeit a short year, only 72.2 innings, but 3.1 ERA. Dodgers doing their thing, being miracle workers. Um, you know, this guy has a career 4.63 ERAs, but he, had, he was really good last year uh, whenever he did pitch. Although his first start with the Rangers was not good 2.2 innings pitched, seven earned runs for an ERA of 23.63. Um, only game he's pitched so far this season, but he will definitely be looking to bounce back from that. But maybe the Royals could capitalize on that. That would be cool. And um, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, the, the Rangers signed uh, some starting pitchers for a lot of money. Uh, I wonder if we're going see to see anything about that. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday, we face Jacob DeGrom on Tuesday. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Oh, I'm also excited. I'm like, have we, have we ever faced Jacob DeGrom? Like, for real, when have we ever faced faced Jacob DeGrom? I guess in 2015. <laughs> like, I guess that would be when. Um, when besides that, though? I have no freaking clue. Uh, Kansas City Royals, one game... Uh, Do I have, like, ERA against that? Oh, here we go. One game, seven earned runs. Uh, no, it was one game, seven innings pitched, one earned run, three hits. I don't know why I read that wrong. I'm See, this is why I'm not talking about things that make me angry right now because I'm just going to be spe- spewing, spewing nonsense. But anyway, yeah, Jacob DeGrom, kind of a, a big deal if you haven't heard of this guy. Uh, Signed with the Rangers for a billion dollars. And uh, although hasn't had the best start for what it's worth, his first start of the season was surprisingly not good. 3.2 innings pitched, 5 earned runs, but he did bounce back the next start on April 5th Pitched 6 innings, 1 earned run. So now his ERA is at 5.59. Don't let that deceive you. This guy is absolutely amazing. So, um, and we and also we've got Jordan Lyles pitching. This is like, this is like that meme of like the really really buff dog and then the one that's just like pouting in the corner. That is, that is what this game is. We are we are screwed. We are losing this game. If we win this game, I I don't know. Someone has to like make a demand. Someone has to make a dare and say like if if we win on Tuesday, then I have to do something. I'll. Fulfill whatever obligation. I don't know. Um, I don't want to eat hats or anything dumb like that. But I don't know. I'll buy a jersey or donate to a charity. Whatever. doesn't matter. We're not winning. So it's not, it's not going to matter. <laughs> and then on Wednesday, we're, we've got Brad Keller going up against Nathan Eovaldi. Nathan Eovaldi is a uh, guy who most people remember from the Red Sox because he pitched like Nine innings in relief for one game um, in the 2018 World Series. So he kind of became a legend for that. Uh, Now has a contract with the Texas Rangers. Two innings, or sorry, two starts so far. 10.2 innings pitched to a 4.22 ERA. So he's looking all right to begin the series. Should be an interesting series, I guess. Their lineup is interesting. They're, they're still kind of looking like they're in rebuild mode with this lineup. They've got a lot of filler guys like Robbie Grossman and Ezekiel Duran and Jonah Hine. But, you know, they've still got they've still got power bath. they still got really good guys. they got Marcus, Sime- Marcus Simeon and Corey Seeker in the middle infield. And then Josh Young, a rising star at third base. So it's not like a complete pushover lineup. does seem like it's getting off to a slow start, but I wouldn't count them out. Um, entirely they are four and four sorry actually five and four because they beat the Cubs today so yeah they're definitely they're probably not going to be a particularly easy opponent actually the Royals don't really have any opponent in April that I would consider easy because after the Rangers it's the Braves after the Braves it's the Rangers again after the Rangers again it's the Angels and then the Diamondbacks who I think are going to be like a sneaky good team this year and then the Twins who I said are going to win the division, and that looks like a prediction that is paying off wonderfully for me so far. So, uh, yeah, interesting little April that the Royals are going to have. Hopefully, though, they'll be able to, you know, hold their own against some of these teams. Hopefully, they'll at least hold their own against the Rangers. Uh, But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. Thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you left a review or a rating on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this on. but you can also send direct feedback to me at the MFNKc or the podcast Twitter at Royal Deluxe Pod. Or further inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'll see you on Friday, and until then, I'm Lux, and go Royals!